Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Uh, It's not less significant. We know that because it's in the Word of God. God included it in the Gospel of Matthew as well as here in Mark 8. So it's vital for us to know. Uh, There's a few differences in these two accounts, not just in the numbers of people. There's a few new things we can learn. Uh, What we're going to find out is, honestly, the disciples had forgotten what they needed to learn from the first time, and uh, we might do that as well. I think i got to be honest and, and tell you that Sometimes I'll learn a lesson and need to hear it again because I've already forgot sometimes the next day. And uh, this is a, a very different event with different purposes and different lessons to increase our faith. So before we begin studying together, let's just pray once more. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, uh, those here, those watching on live stream, I pray your Holy Spirit would illuminate its truth to us. We cry out like David did, open our eyes, Lord, that we might behold wondrous things out of your word. Uh, Lord, I I don't want us to just leave here knowing some new facts. Uh, There's plenty of them. Uh, But I want us uh, to know what you want us to do with what you've presented us here, that we might leave here transformed, empowered, encouraged, our faith greater than when we came in here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verses one through five, there's a mighty work waiting, waiting to happen. Uh, verses 1 to 3, we see Jesus Christ's compassion. Verse 1 says, in those days, in what days? In those days that Jesus was still in that predominantly Gentile area, the Decapolis, just meant as a Greek word for 10 cities. Um, it is where he was two weeks ago when he healed that man who, who was deaf and he couldn't speak real well and he put his fingers in his ears and said, be open, be completely open. Jesus is still there. Uh, and, and like is usually the case, it says in verse 1, in those days, the multitude being very great, wherever Jesus went, big multitude around him. Uh, here it says that Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, verse 2, I have compassion. I have compassion on the multitude because they've now been with me three days and they've got nothing to eat. Verse 3, and if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way for divers or many of them came from afar. So uh, three days they spent with Jesus, listening to him preach. We had special meetings this week, Sunday through Thursday. I was uh, blessed by how many uh, people took a part of that here and, and on the live stream. And uh, I know God did a work. This is what's happening here. They're having special meetings out in the wilderness uh, area around the Decapolis. And, and Jesus is concerned. I, now, I don't know if they were fasting. It talks about fasting. They could have been fasting the whole time. Uh, they could have been fasting part of the time, or Jesus could be saying like, okay, they haven't had a whole lot of food, and then when I send them home, some of them came from very far, and I'm concerned. Jesus has concern. He has compassion for these peoples. He, he, he's worried that uh, now that the preaching was about to end, special meetings were about to be done, uh, they might be too weak to return home without having any kind of problem. They needed food, and it's here that we see the first major difference between the feeding of the 5,000 back in Mark chapter 6 and uh, the feeding of the 4,000 here. The, the first time Jesus' disciples came to Jesus, they saw a need in the crowd, and they said, hey, these people are hungry. 
Uh, we, need, we need to feed them, Jesus. Um, this time, they don't, they don't come to Jesus. Jesus comes to them. Jesus sees the need. He has compassion on these people, and he comes to his disciples. Um, it might be that the disciples weren't aware of, of the need. Now you think, well, how, man, nobody ate for three days. I'm sure they were hungry too. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, maybe them, like you and I sometimes, when life gets real busy, and you're tired, you've been in special meetings for three days, uh, you can kind of get into a place where you might not be as aware as you normally are of the needs of those around you. When a, a need um, comes up, you might not see it. And so Jesus comes to them uh, and, and trying to help them identify a need. I, my prayer would be when I get like that, and for us as Dublin First Baptist Church, God, help us to have your eyes and your heart of compassion that Jesus has here. He never, he never failed to see where God might use him and help us to be that same way where where God might use us to meet a need. And we get, uh, even if we're not used by him to meet it, we get to witness uh, a mighty work of God. That's Christ's compassion. Verses four to five, we see Christ's capability. There's some differences and some similarities in these two accounts. But in uh, verse four, it says, and his disciples answered him. Well, from where can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? I mean, we're out in the boondocks uh, we're having these special meetings out in the wilderness. There's, there's not a Chick-fil-A. There, there's not a Melvin's. There's not a Giorgio's right there where we can get food. Can't go to Food Lion and, and get food. for. The, what do you want us to do, Jesus? And so here's the similarity with the last time in chapter 6 and the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember them? What were the people focused on? The disciples. What were they focused on? What they didn't have. And here they are again. <laughs> I don't know how long of a time. It's just two chapters, but... Um, they're already, again, focused on what they don't have. They see a need, but their focus is on what they don't have. I don't know that they learned from the previous miraculous meeting of needs. So right after that, when a storm came up and Jesus was walking on, on the water, and it says at the end of that passage that uh, the reason they didn't believe in Jesus, that he could calm the storm, the reason they were filled with such wonder is because they already had forgotten the miracle of the, of the loaves and the fish. And it seems like they've already forgot it here too. They're saying, Jesus, I mean, yeah, it's great. Thank you for bringing us this, uh, our attention to this need. Uh, don't really know what you want us to do about it. What does Jesus focus on? Here's another similarity with the last time. Jesus is focusing on what they do have. Verse five, Jesus asked them, how many loaves have ye? And what did they tell them? How many did they have? They got seven, seven loaves. Here. So uh, here's a great example. Again, a reminder for you and I and for these disciples here in this account, where should our focus be when we see a need? On what, what we do have, what God has given us. Um, when Jesus is involved and he brings a, a need to our attention, uh, we need to have the compassionate heart that he had, but we also need to understand his capability. He has the capability to meet the need, or he might give you the capability in his power to meet that need with what you have. We need to only focus on what we have, not what we don't have, and what he's capable to do with what we have if we give it all over to him. As his modern-day disciples, that's what we are. Uh, those who've been saved, uh, born again, redeemed by faith, united to him with faith. I want you to grab a hold of Ephesians 3.20. What a verse. That he is able to do what? Exceeding, <laughs> abundantly, Beyond all that we could ask or think or plan, Jesus is able to do that. Do you believe that? And we love that verse, but do you, I mean, do you believe that? We want to know how. That's okay. 
since a little time we were three or four, right? If it ain't why, it's how. We want to know how. How how are you going to do this, Jesus? He tells us in Ephesians 3.20 how he does exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. He does it according to the power that worketh within us. Well, praise God, that's not my power because I don't have any. (laughs) But it's his power, the power that works in us, the power that we've seen already uh, could could take uh, back then five loaves and, and two fish, and feed 5,000 men, plus their wives and their kids and whoever else was there. The power that can say, peace be still and calm a storm. The power that can say, be opened. And someone whose life, a whole life long, they couldn't hear and they couldn't speak. Their life radically transformed. According, Yeah, he's able to do exceeding abundantly, beyond all we could ask or think, according to his power. But only if, only if we have the compassion that Jesus has. And if we believe in, we have faith in his capability to do this with what he's given us. Uh, a mighty work witnessed, verses 6 to 9. Uh, the sufficiency we see, that, that Jesus was sufficient in this instance to use what they had to miraculously meet this need. Uh, there's another difference here in verse 5. Uh, remember, how, ma- how many loaves do they have this time? They got seven. Last time they had five loaves and two fish. Uh, this time they've got seven loaves. And if you drop down to verse seven, it says they had a few small fish. I don't, I don't know how much a few is. My grandpa always told me that uh, a couple was two, so a few had to be three or more. Uh, I don't know. They got, a, they got a small amount of fish. And the, the word for fish here is sardines. Anybody like sardines? You don't want to admit it. Some of you buy. Yeah, Mr. Lewis. Sardines and mustard sauce. That's good eating every once in a while. Um, but you have a few sardines here. And Jesus, again, he's focused on what they have. But this is a difference. So um, we know from reading this through, Pastor Daniel read through us, uh, this is the feeding of the 4,000. Well, last time he fed 5,000, and, and the word there in Mark 6 is 5,000 men. We're going to assume that some of them were married and their wives were there and they had kids there. So they fed a lot more. And they had five loaves and two fish. This time they got seven loaves. And a few fish, whatever that is, and he feeds 4,000. Um, so in reality, they've got more now than they had last time. They got more, and they've got less people that are, are in a need here. Will what they had be sufficient to meet the need again? It always is. It always is when, when we give everything we have uh, to Jesus. Verse 6 tells us Jesus did something similar and what he did last time, do you remember what he did last time? He, he says he commanded the people, verse 6, to sit down on the ground. Now for us, that's, he's not just saying, hey, everybody sit down and crisscross applesauce like you do in kids' ministry sometimes and get them settled down. He, he actually means recline to eat. That's how they used to eat. That's what it says in the Greek. He, he told them to sit down and get ready to eat. So yeah, there's organization here. How are we going to pass out uh, how, what, these seven fish and a, or seven loaves and a few fish? How are we going to pass it out to 4,000 people? There's organization here. But if you remember uh, from last time, what he's doing is he's, he's placing them in a position of faith. Everybody sit down, get ready to eat. And they're probably like, what are we all going to eat? That? All of us? You're probably like when you go to a covered dish dinner or homecoming, right? And you always wonder, are we going to be the first table to get called? And maybe you'll sit back and maybe the pastor will say the the rear table gets to go first. And now they're organized. They're sat down here getting ready to receive. Jesus is putting them in a position. I think he might be putting us in a position this morning, uh, a position to receive. To see him miraculously meet a need. Verse 6 also tells us Jesus took, all right? So what did he do after he commanded them to sit down on the ground? It says he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks 
And then he break. Um, so we've got three verbs here, participles actually. So, but um, three verbs. And in the Greek, they're in what's called the aorist verb tense, which means like a one-time decisive act. So he took those seven fish, or seven loaves and a few fish. He took them, one-time decisive act. He gave thanks. He prayed, blessed. And then he um, says he took, he, he uh, gave thanks, and he break. He break. He started passing uh, it out. Now, um, like before, in giving thanks, Jesus is showing us that we should be grateful for what God has supplied. It's helping us focus on what we do have uh, to meet that need. Also, in, in praying, he's asking God to do the impossible here um, and, and thanking God for it. He, he's looking to God uh, in prayer for power to make it sufficient to meet that need. And then also, he's, he's giving it all over to God. Everything he has, giving it to God to meet that need. Um, listen, can I tell you something, church? Um, this prayer part is an important aspect. It's not just like praying so we can get to the grub. You know, and I think sometimes we don't see crazy answers to prayer because we don't pray crazy prayers. I know some of you have needs. You've expressed them to me. You've asked me to pray for them. It's going to take something crazy to turn it around. <laughs> it really is. Um, terminal illness, chronic illness, a kid that right now isn't doing what they should do. God's capable, isn't he? Christ is compassionate. He's sufficient. He can meet this need. But we're never going to see answers to crazy prayers if our prayers are, help me to have a good day today. And um, bless so-and-so. Bless. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, it's got, but it's got to go beyond that, church. We've got to have faith, eyes of faith here that say, you can do it. You can do exceeding abundantly, beyond all we ask or thank. This thing that's 15 years it's been going this way. No, he can turn it around, can he? He can turn it around. And that's what we got to do, just like Jesus does here. Now, um, remember, verse 6, those three, three verbs. He, he took, right, he gave thanks, and he break. All one-time action uh, words. Um, but there's one more verb there, verse 6. It says, and he gave. That's different verb forms. Not aorist, it's the imperfect. And so what it means is that he kept on giving. If you look in the Greek, it means kept on giving. Uh, I looked at all different Bible translations, about 20 of them, modern ones. The only one I found, do you have yours? Well, it says kept on giving, doesn't it? Holman Christian Standard. Uh, taking, what about the gave? Down there at the end of verse. He gave thanks and then what? Broke and then what? Kept on giving. Because that's what he did. He kept on giving. Why did he kept on giving? Because he kept on coming. Because <laughs> he kept on coming. Uh, he kept on giving. It was sufficient to meet a need. Isn't that what verse 7 says? What does it say? They had a few small fishes. He blessed. He commanded to set the fish also before them. Verse 8. So they did eat, and they were filled. It was totally sufficient. Isn't that what we learned this past week? And then what Aaron told us, that Jesus Christ is sufficient. We sang that song, Christ is sufficient, and it's sufficient to meet this need here. Totally sufficient. Whenever Jesus is involved, it's going to meet the need in a sufficient way. Often, when we're seeing verses 8 and 9, it doesn't just meet the need. It's not just sufficient to meet a need, but what happens? Exceeding abundantly beyond all we can ask or think happens. That's what uh, verse 8 says. They did eat and they were filled. It was sufficient. But then what did they do also? They took up. Of the broken meat that was left, how many baskets? 
seven. <laughs> it took up seven baskets. So we've already mentioned Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly. This, this verse here, under verse eight, that's proof positive. That's how God operates. It's not just sufficiency so often. There, there's even a surplus. Um, nobody was in need of leftovers. It says they all ate and were filled. It was sufficient. But there was leftovers. There was seconds. How many? Seven baskets. If you look back in chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, do you remember how many baskets were left there? Twelve. There's 12 baskets. And so this time, uh, there is, there, there's seven. Now, when I came to this, started studying this a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I'll be honest, and you might be the same way. But Jesus, this is amazing. It is. But like, you know, um, in the whole building and crescendo type thing, it, to me, it would be cooler if there was more than last time. You know, if you could one up, you could one up this time. And the thing of it is, he did. He did. And what we don't get in our English translation is back in chapter 6, when he fed the 5,000 and there was 12, 12 baskets left over. The, the Greek word for basket there is kofinos, koifinos. All right. Uh, it's a basket like this, 12 baskets. And um, if you go to Olive Garden, you get the soup and salad and breadsticks. They bring you out a little basket. It's about the size of that breadstick basket, kofinos. Um, what we might serve bread in in our, in our meal and our tables at, at home. But here, here, right here in verse 8, it says they took up, uh, that was left with seven, seven baskets. This is in kofinos. This is a different Greek word for basket. And I mean, it's spiros. Spiros is big. You want to know how big Spiros is? We find it again in Acts 9.25. Acts 9.25, the Apostle Paul has just gotten saved. Um, a couple days later, he begins preaching. He's preaching the gospel right away. Now, the people, um, the Jewish leaders were not too fond of that. Because like, he was on a mission to go persecute the church and arrest people and kill, kill Christians. And now he's been saved. Now he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Jewish leaders are trying to kill him. They're trying to assassinate him. And the Christians find out about it. Acts 9.25, at night comes, and they let down Paul outside of the city wall to escape. And guess what? Aspiros. That's a big basket, ain't it? I mean, I don't know how big Paul was, but, I mean, human, adult, human man. This is not an Olive Garden bread basket. This is like a laundry hamper of substantial size. And they got seven of them. Seven. I, so I think there was more this time. I think Jesus did one, one up. Uh, his previous miracle. The surplus was enough for them to have seven of those. Because that's how God works. He doesn't just meet needs in a sufficient way. He does it in a, in a surplus. Numbers are always important. We look back in chapter 6 when he fed 5,000. Why was there 12 little kofinos baskets? Well, there's 12 disciples who didn't believe Jesus could do it, who were focused on what they didn't have. That could be why. Why seven this time? Well, seven in Scripture is a number of completion or perfection. That might have to do with it. Also, do you remember how many loaves they had? Seven. And that might have been why God said, I want you to have a reminder. Seven little loaves, seven big baskets left over after everybody was filled. He wants us to know the same thing here. Look, if we will just give God our little loaf. <laughs> you got a little loaf? Sometimes it feels like I got a little loaf, not just about money or food or what you have, but I mean energy, <laughs> faith. Sometimes my faith feels like a little loaf. 
Just give it to him and watch what he'll do. If you give it all to him and if you believe that he's capable to, to not just be sufficient, but even to, to have a surplus here. That's what he's telling these 4,000 people. That's what he's telling these 12 disciples. That's what he's telling you and I this morning. Will, now, will we learn this time what God can do when we focus on what he's given, when we give it all over to him and, and get to watch what he wants to do in us and, and for us and through us? Uh, when we believe in his capability, and when we believe in his uh, sufficiency, it's important that we do because here's what can happen when we don't. And that's the rest of the uh, passage this morning in verses 10 to 13. Uh, we've witnessed a mighty work here. They all did. But now there's a mighty work withheld in, in verses 10 to 13. Um, a request is made. Jesus leaves. They all, they're all filled. All right. And so verse 10 says, uh, and straightway he entered the boat entered the ship with his disciples, and he came to an area known as Del Manutha. Um, in in uh, Matthew, it says Magdala, where Mary Magdalene came from, but Mark's writing to Greek people, so it's known as Del Manutha uh, to them. And uh, he goes there, and then who does he meet right away here in verse 11? It says, the Pharisees came forth, and they began to question him. Uh, that, that word means to test him. Not a bad thing. Uh, that kind of testing. The question, that's how people would learn back then. It's question and answer type of thing. But uh, then it goes further. They, they, they were seeking him, uh, from him a sign from, from heaven. And then, then it gets even a little worse. They were tempting him. They were tempting him, it says here. Um, so they have a request. After Jesus sends all these people home, the Pharisees come to him uh, with a question. Uh, not a bad thing. But then they were seeking a sign and they were tempting him. What the Pharisees wanted was some kind of miraculous proof <laughs> that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one. Now, had Jesus given them proof already? I mean, we've only been in seven chapters of Mark, but there's been a lot going on, right? Straightway this, straightway that. Dead, brought to life. Seas, calm, twice. Food, created, twice. <laughs> Enough to, I mean, there's been a lot of proof. People who are at chronic illnesses, no, nobody can heal. He, he takes care of it. Demon possession, nobody can take, do anything about it. He takes care of that. Jairus' daughter, she's dead. He raises her to life. I mean, there's been a lot of proof because those are all God things. Those are all creator things. Those are all Messiah things, things that only God could do. So there's been proof. And verse 11 says that in requesting this, right, in this seeking of a sign, that they were tempting Jesus. Well, how is it tempting Jesus to, to seek a sign? Well, for one, he's already offered plenty of proof, plenty of evidence. He's offered to them. He's offered it to us. We've seen it here in Mark chapter, uh, chapters 1 through 7 uh, already. Um, and, and the evidence is there if you have the eyes of faith. They didn't. These Pharisees didn't. Uh, if they weren't looking at it with eyes of faith. Now, secondly, why is this a problem? Because I, eh, it's not too far off from what Satan did in tempting Jesus Christ, is it? You want a sign? Make these stones into bread. You want a sign? Throw yourself off this, this high tower. And he said, who give his angels charge over you? I mean, the Pharisees were tempting him. Um, they were tempting God and seeking a sign. We got to be very careful when we're asking for signs and, and seeking displays of God's power. We can pray that. Pray big prayers. Pray crazy prayers so you can see crazy answers. But make sure we're never too like the Pharisees or even the devil in, in demanding a sign, especially when he's given so many. And we've, we've ignored those. That's when it's problematic. 
The Pharisees were tempting him. Jesus is using language here that they knew it. It pointed right back to Exodus 15. Do you know what happens in Exodus 15? They have just come through the Red Sea. God's delivered his people out of Egypt. Water is parted. Walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side. Water's come back. Entire Egyptian army destroyed. And the people break out in song. Exodus 15.1, Moses is singing. But then they go out into the desert and start complaining. They want a sign from God. God, there's water here, but it's bitter. It tastes terrible. So God hears their cries. Moses prays, God, help me. I don't know what to do. They're all upset. He says, go cut down that tree, put in the water. May the water sweet. Exodus 16, I don't know if it was a day, two days, a week. They're out in the wilderness again. They're complaining, there's no food here. Man, if we could go back to Egypt, they had the world's best onions. That's what they said, leeks. I mean, it's, where's their focus? <laughs> Can't God provide? Won't he provide for them? He just parted the Red Sea to allow you to escape. Took you out of bondage. You think he can't take care of food and water? You think he can't take care of whatever need you're facing? So he gave them what? In the wilderness, manna. Every morning. They didn't have to do anything for it. They woke up because that's his grace. It's there. They complain again, Exodus 17. Now we're out here and we got no water again. And God tells Moses, take your staff. Same staff. They, they saw the Red Sea parted. You think he was trying to connect them back? Look back to what he did for you. Take that staff and strike that rock and water comes out. People drank. They were filled. God provided because he's a gracious God. But you know what he told Moses to call those places? Told him to call them uh, Masa and Meribah. And it means tempted and contention. And Exodus 17, 17 says this. Uh, they, were called, they were told to name it that because there the people tempted the Lord, listen to this, saying, is he among us or not? Are you among us, God? Are you going to leave us here to die? Man, just like days ago, weeks ago, I took you through the Red Sea. I took care of water then. I give you manna this morning. <laughs> we want another sign, God. That's why Jesus tells these Pharisees here. They're seeking a sign. It's not... It's not right. Verse 12. And he sighed deeply within his spirit. He did that two weeks ago when he said, be open. That time I think it was compassion when he sighed deeply in his spirit. This time I think it's consternation, frustration at faithlessness when he has already done so much. And it says, why does this generation seek after a sign? I say unto you, verily I say unto you. When you see a verily I say unto you in the King James, it's like, this is going to happen and there's no going back, sees. Verily I say unto you, there'll be no sign given. Not going to be a sign given to you. Uh, in Matthew, in his account, he, uh, he adds a word there, a uh, phrase there. He says, verily I say unto you, no sign will be given unto you except the sign of Jonah. Why is all this important? It's important because uh, they've been given signs. I mean, think of his birth, angels coming down, wise men traveling from afar. People knew about it. They knew about it. Herod went to them. The Pharisees. Where's Jesus supposed to be born? They're like, Bethlehem. They didn't go, why? Is he here? No, they just said Bethlehem and just went on with life. Signs. I mean, the baptism of Jesus. Was that not a sign from heaven? Heaven's open. Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. Loud voice. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Tons of people saw it. Miracles after miracles. Crowds following him. They had a sign. They've seen God at work. They've seen evidence. They've seen mighty work after mighty work. 
Miraculous meeting of needs after miraculous meeting of needs. And they still doubt how great God is. A.W. Tozer said this, Worship rises, our worship, it rises or it falls with our concept of God. What we think of God. And if there's one condition, terrible disease in the church today, it's we don't see God as great as he is. Especially after all he's done for us. How could we be faithless? How could these Pharisees be faithless like this? When Matthew says, no sign will be given to you but the sign of Jonah, what is that? What's he talking about? Well, in that phrase, Jesus is referring to his upcoming death and his resurrection, that he would die, he'd be buried for three days, and then he'd rise from the grave, come to life again. Let me tell you something, church. All these miracles we've studied for seven chapters, now they're awesome. Can you believe we have a God like this who can, who can take somebody who's been sick their whole life and give them new life? Take somebody who's dead and bring them to life. Take seven loaves and a few sardines, feed 4,000 people, release someone from demon possession. Everything he's done, everything he's done, lame walking, Blind, seeing. Awesome. But there's no miracle. There's no miracle like what he's talking about there. The resurrection? There's no miracle like that. Nothing as powerful as that. I mean, as we approach Easter, I pray that it's on your heart. Because if you know Jesus as Savior, you've already experienced it. You were dead. You were in bondage to sin, just like Israel was. All right? And by his grace, you responded in faith. And he gave you new life. Eternal life. You already have it. It's right now. You've experienced spiritual resurrection, and if you have, one day you're going to experience physical body resurrection just like Jesus did. We sing it in those Easter songs. Made like him, like him we rise. If ours is the cross, the grave, and the skies. Resurrection is a powerful miracle. That's what Jesus is telling them. Christian, you have received him as your Savior. You've decided to follow him. You've been born again. My question for you this morning is, do you, like the disciples here, uh, do you doubt sometimes whether or not he can do what he can do, if he's capable, sufficient to even make a surplus, if you'll hand everything over to him, just believe, just believe. Christianity is not a blind faith. It is not. A bl- Look at what we've seen in, now and in going into eight chapters. It's no blind faith. It's an eyewitness faith. Listen, if you've never received Jesus as Savior, someone watching, someone here, do it. Do it today. Call out to him right now. In, I mean, just pray it to yourself quietly. Say, look, I'm, I'm a sinner. I know that. I, know, I trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. It paid the penalty for my sin, so I don't have to die and go to hell. That, that when I die here in this world, I'll go to heaven. I'll be with him forever never done that do it today if you got questions about what that means on the back of our bulletin on our website it tells you what it means to be born again how to know for sure you've been saved but christian this is my question for you this morning has the compassion that jesus has is there times when it wanes in your life because it does get too busy do you find yourself like the disciples and they're like there's a massive need out here and i wasn't even aware of it life just got too busy if that's the case just plead with god this morning as we close in a song invitation say give me your eyes jesus Give me your heart, Jesus. Help me to be your hands and your feet, Jesus. Uh, Christian, have the previous works of God. This happens to us. We forget. Just like That's why he's doing this miracle again, because they forgot. That's why he points to the Pharisees back to all those times. And when God came through in the Old Testament, they forgot. Let me encourage you to do something. If you have forgotten God's works, confess that as sin. Doubt's a sin. Doubt's a sin. But he paid for that sin. He paid for every sin. So confess this morning, receive his full and free forgiveness. Say, say like that one fellow. 
I believe. But man, my belief is a little loaf. <laughs> make, a big, make a big loaf of bread out of it. I believe. Help my unbelief this morning. God, help my unbelief. He'll do that. That's a request that honors him. That's a big prayer. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the devil even in demanding a sign. Because you know what happens when you don't have the eyes of faith? Look at verse 13. And he left them. He left them. No work to do there. You remember that earlier? He could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Don't let that happen here today. As Tommy comes and we sing a song of invitation, I encourage you, whatever is in your life, surrender it all to Christ this morning. Do business with him. Allow him to work in your life. However he's calling on you to respond today, just obey.